Okay, how is everybody? Yeah, so we're finished. We're gonna try like to speed through, but it's actually I was thinking about that. It's better we should learn something with meaning than to speed. So if we don't get everything, then it's fine. Because in life, it's always good to want more. Remember that. Like you should always be thirsting and striving for more. Don't ever feel like, okay, I filled up my cup, I'm finished learning. It's very actually I'm gonna make a I'm gonna talk about that one minute um, there's a couple points that are very, very important that I Dafka uh, heard today, which is you guys are at the end of this month, you're at the end of a semester, and it's really important that uh, no matter where you're going to onward, that you should always keep learning, which is like, I mean, my, my grandfather Shomi, used to say that life is his own college education. So like, really, we learn in life, but a person should always be in some ways looking and connecting to trying to learn in Torah and also to take to take one thing doesn't matter how small it is but that thing hold on to like a like your anchor that no matter in what situation you are no matter what country you are no matter what city you are no matter what you say okay I'll keep you to this mitzvah I'll keep you to this thing and also I was advised many many years ago that way I'm sorry um, I was advised many years ago that after when I was married, I left and I went back home, that I should, well, actually, I didn't go back home, I got married, but when I should find someone to learn with, like find a chabrutza, a learning partner, do a chesed, like find something that you feel like you're doing a chesed and you contribute to the community, and also try to find some class that you really connect to, that you have, like, you're in a group setting of learning. So my advice is that also, that, you know, each time there's an end of a cycle, um, it means it's the beginning of a new one, and that's really and that we're constantly uh, beginning new things and we're also ending new things, or ending old things, I should say. Okay, so we're moving into, we talked about Tadigon, we talked about Rachelineo and that plus, and now we're going into the month of Kislev, which, like, the first thing that I propose to say, what's Kislev? It's, it's your birthday? No, ah, okay. Because usually our birthdays are our favorite months. But um, Kislev is the month of lights, right? We think about Hanukkah, we think about that, like, in the darkness and just lighting up that Menorah, um, lots of beautiful stories about um, about really looking for the light in the darkness and understanding that in order to get to light, in order to see light, I have to have that contrast of darkness, right? I cannot appreciate light if I don't have darkness. So um, what's really amazing, this is both like on a holistic healing kind of also, is that when it comes to the winter time, there's a certain energy of the winter and think about it naturally, and like Hanukkah is really like the time of really the real winter setting it. Energetically, there's a natural there's a natural propensity of hibernation during the winter. Like there's this natural kind of like you want to stay. I mean, unless you're living in like the opposite climates, but you know, normally winter is cold. You want to stay inside. You want to hibernate. It's the time when you don't only really see the blossoming is what's happening, but it's the time when the seeds are just sort of like. There being there's hibernation, but that's actually the time most when you can actually gain force, like your your koach, right? And in fact, when a person goes to sleep, shena is the same word as shinui, which is change, and also shana, which I think I mentioned before, because about shana, that like there has to be some kind of shinui in my life each time I come to the new year. But also each time I go to sleep at night, have in mind that I'm a new person the next day. Because 160 of me died even. That means that every single day, it's a same as a new creation, a new creation. And also the winter is that time when we can tap into 
being like get, getting our forces, you know, it's a very yin type of uh, also time of the year. Um, and I, what I wanted to bring up, what I thought really, is what it's a lot about. Yeah, so, yeah. so I'll go. More and more, yeah. <laughs> there are so many that you know, I'm like, there's so much paper. And then I realized that he knows what she's doing more than I do, right? It's, like a it's a packet. There's a single paper, which is just like some notes. So you got and then there's this packet on, actually, a yeah. whole thing on two o'clock. Yeah. I'm going to put one right here for anybody. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. All right, we're focused, right? Yes, <laughs> we are focused. Here we go. Okay, so we're talking about hibernation getting strength. Also, the mitzvah of the whole idea behind lining the Hanukkah, we say, okay, why don't we put, why are we publicizing the, with the, with the war, the miracle of the war, publicizing the idea of the light, which is two things I also want you to keep in mind during this month. Number one is that they, they didn't settle for the oil to be just like, okay. They wanted Mahadrim and Mahadrim. The, the Hashmarim, the Kohanim, they were like, no, 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 we're looking for the best. And Hanukkah, that month of Kislev also, I want you to look inside yourself, the light, like look inside for the light and looking in, like how can I make one thing, one small thing, that I'm doing anyway, so kind of like make it the best. You know, there's lots of, um, there's there's an amazing, a person gets amazing heavenly assistance, when you want so much to do a certain mitzvah, you want like this, and your whole focus and energy is on just this one thing, you will get assistance. Hashem will help you that that thing is going to be, but it means I can't do a million things like this, but the one thing kind of say, just one thing, take that one thing and try to do it like the best, right? So also I, I put down it's the battle between the soul, right? The soul and the body and the battle of the Greeks, meaning that today we still have to combat this. And also there's much, very much to tap into. Um, like tapping into what's really important, what's not, you know? And what is my body for? My body is a vehicle. It's holy, it's sacred. It's a vehicle in order to do what? To write, to, to serve as Chen, meaning that there's a purpose behind my body. And my body is, it has its purpose, but the purpose is only connected to when it's the soul. And I'll tell you guys a story um, that I read. It's a true story that there was um, this, it was like in the 1960s. So it's like a generation after World War II. And there was, it's in, it was a small kind of village in Germany. There was this guy who was going to be a priest, his uh, meaning a pastor or minister, Protestant, not Catholic. Okay. So like a minister and his father was a minister and he was also going to ministry school. So this is in Germany and in the 1960s, and it was still that they weren't like, he didn't have any really education so much about what happened in the Holocaust. He goes to ministry school and there he finds about all that happened during the Holocaust. Now, mind you, he's German, right? He's starting to be a minister. And he was like, this he was horrified. He said, I cannot believe it. Like, I can't believe our people did this. So he goes to the head minister and he says, I feel terrible and I want to do something. And the minister says, yes, we have a program for people like you. And he sends it and he says it's in Israel. And there you're gonna like it would be like tikkun, you know, there you're gonna do volunteer work. And by doing volunteer work in Israel, that will be make you feel less conscious, like ethical consciousness. So he packs up, he comes to Israel, actually here in Yerushalayim, 
and he was working in a hospital setting of children who are like like vegetate of state. Um, and he really put all his heart into it. And he was like, he was volunteering. Um, the mothers, they would come every day. And these mothers saw this volunteer, understanding he's not Jewish and he's German. And, and they really appreciated him though, because he really put his heart into these children. And he really, he was, it was like the best volunteer, he was the best person working on staff. So one day, one of the mothers um, is, he comes right and, and he's watching the mother and he's like confused. Because he sees his mothers coming every single week. He sees them putting like kippahs on the boys and seat seats and saying something covering the eyes. And he doesn't understand what the mothers are doing, like some kind of weird ritual. He goes up to the mother, one of the mothers, and he says, I want to understand what you're doing. And she didn't know how to answer him. Because on the one hand, she's like, I really appreciate this person. He's really helping and he's doing such a good job taking care of. Their children, but on the other hand, he's not Jewish, she's not gonna understand. So she was debating what to tell him, and she said, Look, I know you see a body, meaning you see this vegetative state of this child who's a body, and she says, But we see the soul, and that soul needs me to come and say Shema with it, like our, our prayers. And I put the kippah on because it's not just a body, there's a soul, and something sparked inside of him, and he was like, Wow, that's amazing. There is, a, even though this man was studying to be a past, you know, a minister, like. That means that they obviously had connection to spirituality, but the true concept of, I don't just need that body to be an actively doing body in order to be holy, in order to be like so much, we have such a hard time. We have a, such a hard time of being, we have an easier time of doing. Meaning always we're comparing ourselves to other people based on what we're doing and not just upon that we are, just that we are. And that's one of the reasons why also halakhically, you can't just, even if a person is in a state where they're not doing anything, you're not allowed to put that person to, to actively put that person to, to die. Because we truly believe that that neshama has a purpose. Just being here has a purpose. So he heard this, took the sin, and actually decided to convert. And he went to study and he ended up converting. He became, um, he got married. He became a uh, learning kolal in B'nai Brak. So he's learning in B'nai Brak. Wow. Yeah. It's not over yet. He's learning in B'nai Brak. And what? Yeah, 60s now, maybe now in the 70s. He's learning in B'nai Brak, and they're in uh, next to B'nai Brak is an area called Ramad Gan, and it has like a lot of jewelers and diamond dealers, like buildings. And it's a part. Of, so, this one diamond dealer came in one day to the Kolil and he said, Look, my mother just passed away, and I need to hire somebody to say Kaddish for her because I don't have time. Like, it's a big responsibility actually to say Kaddish for a person three times a day, show up to a minion. It's not so precious, it's not so easy. So he says, I want to hire somebody, but I have a condition. The person has to um, be someone learning in Torah, and also, do they need the money? So the Rosh Kolal, the head of the of the Kolal, he's like, I've got the perfect person. This convert, this Ger, he knew he needed money, and also he was perfect because his parents, once you convert, your biological parents were no longer his parents, like are not his parents. So he's considered kind of an orphan. And why is that? Because there's a there's a custom that you don't say Kaddish for somebody if your parents are still alive. Okay, so he said this is a perfect person because usually Abraham are young people. Usually people in Kola are young people and, and all of them have parents. So he goes to the ref and he says to him, look, I have this great opportunity for you. You can make money. It's also a mitzvah. And, the, and he was very uncomfortable. And he says, I don't want to do this. He says, look, I never cut off ties with my parents. They've always been very supportive of me, even though I like totally opposite of kind of, but I, I, can't, I can't do that knowing that they are alive and that they're still, part, you know, 
So they, so the Rosh Hashiva, or Rosh Kol said, let's go, like, I want to ask another, a higher rabbi. So they went to a bigger rabbi in B'nai Pra, and the rabbi said, he's right. He shouldn't say Kaddish for this man's mother. Fast forward a couple months, there was this person that just walked to the Kolo. He's visiting B'nai Pra, he's visiting, he's obviously not Jewish. He's looking and um, he goes into Rosh Kolel and he says, look, I'm doing, I'm actually writing a book. And I'm writing a book about all the customs of the world of morning practices. And I've come to Israel to talk, you know, to learn about the morning practices of, of the Jewish people. And I've been studying it. And I've been in it. And then who comes up? The Abreth, right? It was actually his father. Like his father, the minister, was traveling around the world learning the customs. And afterwards, the Rosh Hashanah understood that if this man had understood and learned about the practices and you don't, and would have seen his son saying Kaddish, he would have been so hurt and so insulted. Like, so why am I saying this whole story? The story is for once, I know we know this, you guys, but I want you to really truly understand and feel what it is that you have an Hashanah inside of you. And the whole month of Kislev is bringing out that Hashanah and saying also just accepting. We're so, the whole, you know, we're still to this day with the Greeks. And the idea of the outside, you know, I had a student just tell me all of, I, I, I'm so ignorant what's going on, but yet I find out about this new, right, maybe it's not new anymore, the diabetes, diabetic injections that you can lose weight, like, very quickly. Thank you. Ozempic. And, and it's scary to me, like, what, like, first of all, that we're so quick to harm ourselves, actually, in the sake of achieving something that's not even it's just, it's very sad. And we buy into that ourselves. And in every society, there's a test. And in Hanukkah, it's the time to really truly bring out the light, to understand that my neshama is really my true light. And that light also, I can illuminate another person with that light and I won't be distracted. Like it won't take away from my light. So we have this battle with the Greeks until this day. We have the idea of hibernation, of really gathering your strength and your energy and your co-op during the months of Kislev. And also knowing that in the darkest moments, there's always light. And that concept also of like, wow, I mean, we keep getting repeated over and over. This small army, you know, battle this huge Greeks that we're above, Hanukkah is about being above Teva. It's the number eight, it's Mashiach is above Teva. But the one thing that I also find that's so, so, so important about, about the month of Kislev and Hanukkah, which I really want us to take with us, is that it's, it's eight days. And what are these eight days for? We say in Berkat Amazon, we say in Amida. Does anyone remember what they're for? Eight days of Hanukkah, what are they for? Yes, but what, what does it actually say in the text? It's to thank, it's to be grateful. And what are we, I, I find it the most beautiful thing is that we're being thankful for the mundane because Hanukkah, even though there was this big miracle that happens, it's the holiday where there's like, you can go in the car, you can light, meaning it's very mundane. You have one next to a light of the menorah, but you're completely tolling in a mandate and yet every single day we're told to say halal. We're told to give sheva, halal, praise the Lord. So I, um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to do this, but if I had a whole sheer on Hanukkah and on gratitude, what I would want us to do is literally, if, there's two ways of really being grateful when you feel these moments of like darkness, the way to combat it was the light of gratitude. And one, I have two, 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 two ways that I do it. Number one, I call them gratitude bombing, which I taught my children. And it's literally like, I have this imagery of like Berlin being bombed or like London during the you know World War and you blackout, bomb, 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 bomb. So what we do is a one minute on the clock, just gratitude bombing, which is for literally one minute, you look on the clock and you just 
gratitude bombing. Thank you for this. And thank you. For, and the, the most mundane things. And we do it. I do it sometimes when, I, when I'm walking. And we start going, thank you for the trees. And thank you for the color of the sky. And thank you for the, you know, every, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. All of a sudden, you're oxytocin. You feel so good. You feel happy. It's truly a light in the darkness. And then another idea of, of a tool to use is literally finding gratitude, which is kind of, but in creation, like in the creation of the Kodesh Baruch like you look around and just being grateful for how powerful this world is and in our bodies. Because a lot of times, like right now, I've been having this like stiff shoulder. Okay, I'm a massage therapist. So yeah, so I, so I know a lot about the body and I know about the muscles and everything. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't know that. No, I mean, like saying this. So, um, I am a massage therapist. So, um, going back to that, like, okay, I know, I know what's going on here. And, um, it's funny how I can, uh, every human being has a certain pain or ailment or something going on in their body. And they like, like the whole focus goes right into that. And yet like, wait a minute. Okay. My brain is working. I have memory. I have vision. I have, I can hear, I can taste. You go through every single one of my liver is working. Thank God. My kidneys are working. I have my blood being cleansed. I have, I have, you know, my urinary tract, my digestive tract. Meaning if you start just going through the awesomeness of what is the body, what is the, what is the bracha say? Or the bracha is like every single time we're going to the bathroom, acknowledging that certain things are open and certain things are closed, which is just amazing. And not only that, what's the pele that Hashem left Created, we say that this word of Pele, like what's the awesomeness of the body? That when Hashem created the body, what is the awesomeness? The awesomeness is that there can be a soul and a body. That is awesome. That we can fuse, that Hashem was able to fuse something so material and so not material, spiritual, I guess. And that fusion is the most awesome thing in the world. And we know the word Adam, right? We know the word Adam. The word Adam which means man as in mankind. The Aleph stands for Aluf, one, Hashem. And Dom is blood. That the idea of a man that we can fuse the godliness of us with just our flesh and blood is actually the most, one of the most miraculous things that there is. So I put some questions just you guys can ask yourself during the month of Kiflev, which is, yeah. Yeah. Hashem is aloof. He's actually oh, aloof. Yeah, he's aloof. And also one. And then he's also a And then Dan is the blood. Um, which is also interesting that the word is also this to be dumb is like Aaron when when his when his two sons were were um when they offered the one when they were killed, like because you know their souls just like went out of them because they offered the offering without permission, basically. So it says that Aaron, also David Melch, is also known as being someone who's silent. Dam. It means silence. What makes us not we? What makes us also human beings, so godly creatures, is that that we're not silent. Actually, I mean, it's godly to be silent. We're supposed to be silent. But I mean, is that we have the faculty of speech. We create with our words. That's why Devarim is right before Tisha B'Av. To understand the importance of how our speech is, right, when it comes to building and destroying the world, which is Tisha B'Av and the Korban. So um, I have some questions here, which is just ask, yeah, oh, okay, that's fine. What miracles in your life do you want to celebrate at this time? So I think it kind of gives a great time to celebrate your miracles, right? What miracles in your life do you take for granted? And, and mind you that these are the seeds that we don't see that are being buried. Like so many times because of our mundane, 
we take it for granted that these actually are miracles themselves. So how to see the miracles in the mundane? And I have a question that is a very popular question that you ask yourself. You ask yourself today, what would you have tomorrow if you only had the things that you thank God for today? Or backwards, what would I have today if it was whatever I think Hashem for yesterday in my life? Like, it's a very That's powerful question. Yeah, what would I have now? Like, I would be, let's say God only gives you today whatever you thanked Him for yesterday. Or whatever I think Hashem for today, I will have tomorrow. It's a very powerful question. You just have to think about that and, like, whoa, you know? Yeah. On the sheet, right? Yeah, it is on the sheet. What would I be? I said, what would I be left with if I only had what I was grateful for yesterday? Or we could change it to the present to the future. And the question of in what ways does our body battle the will of the soul? How can we find that balance of integrating, you know, instead of negating? Like, meaning we're not supposed to negate our bodies and beauty. No one ever is saying that you're not supposed to. In fact, the basement is actually one of the most beautiful places. The Kohanim are just gorgeous places. The, all our imahot are described as being these gorgeous women, you know, Abigail and also other, like, it's not about negating the body. It's about integrating and incorporating the usage of the body to serve the Kaddish Bible. Whereas I feel like the message of the Greeks is the purpose of the body instead of the means of, of doing godly things, right? Um, and the reason why I put in the last one is what is your de definition of success? Is because I also feel like that's still from the Greeks, the Hellenists, that success is only an outside external uh, label, mm -hmm. and that we don't define success as spiritual. Like it's always the outcome. If I were to see how a person's growing and how much they've grown, and I know the whole process, I'm like, my God, that person is so successful. Whereas if you just look at somebody on that surface, you might not knowing anything behind that story, you might say, oh, they're not successful. It's not true, right? And vice versa. Okay, now we're going to the Tibet, which is actually, I feel like we don't know so much about this month of Tibet. So I'd like us to delve into this a little bit. And Tibet is, corresponds to the Shevet of Dan and the faculty, Dan as in the idea of Dean, right? Judgment. It's the faculty of anger. Um, what happened historically, it's very important for us to talk about this, it's that the, the Yerushalayim was sieged, right? And this all began on the month of Tibet. You should just know that Tibet is like not a lucky month. Asav has a month of Tibet. Um, we need to take it back from him. I'm going to talk about maybe how we could do this. And other things happened historically on Tibet, which also gives it the taste, which is Torah. The Torah was translated into Greece, Greek, I'm sorry. Ezra the Sofer passed away. It was the end of process prophecy. And there were these three days of darkness. It was the Het, Het, Yod of Tibet, which were the days... Uh, like that the Torah was being translated. Now, what's interesting is that the siege of Yerushalayim was in the first Beis HaMikdash. Ezra the Sofer died um, when he died. In the, but I think like in the beginning of the second, which is when the prophecy ended, what ends it. And then you have the translation, which was, all, meaning none of this is actually the same time, and yet we're only fasting kind of. We fast about the siege, but we don't, it wasn't historically like that. I'm saying what, what, when what happened is not historically. So I want to talk about the, because it's interesting, Hanukkah starts, Tibet starts with Hanukkah, right? Which is the light and the darkness. However, um, however, the Greek, the, why is, why, okay, I'm going to ask the question. Why do you guys think that translating the Torah to Greek, which mind you right now, we have lots of translations, would be so, bring so much darkness into this world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, culture, 
Okay, good. It's someone ruling over us. Yes. I don't think it was that. I mean, as much as like it was, it was a kind of a throwaway, a stepping stone sense to like take advantage and degrade us. Like I think it's only then, yeah, like, only then would it be like then the taxes would come in and then and then they come waiting. And if they had to start from like somewhere. Right. So that was that was like kind of right. Place. It it's it's yeah. an, it's for sure. It's actually was the beginning to the end, meaning that was the first. The, the siege was the beginning of the end of the Bistandash. Yeah. But specifically, and all this idea of subjugation, someone's forcing us to do something. But I also want to point out something really powerful is that Torah is divine, right? The moment I start translating it, I'm taking something infinite and I'm making it very finite. And it's finite because it's only according to my interpretation of the translation. Does that make sense what I just said? So how is that connected to a siege? The idea behind a siege is you're in this very cramped, narrow and refined, confined space. The moment I also cramp myself into a definition of what spirituality is, what God is, what connection is, I'm in a siege, I'm trapped. And that is also the beginning of the end. The worst thing a person feels um, is trapped. You know the story is in... Um, it's after David Amalek dies. Well, it's, he's on his deathbed and he turns to his son Shlomo Melech and there was a man from, the, from, from Shevet Shimon, uh, right? Or his name is Shemini, he's from Benjamin, who cursed David Amalek. No, it was from the Shevet of Shal. It was from the Shevet of Benjamin because he was the same Shevet of Shal. And he curses David Amalek and David doesn't say anything at the moment. However, that man was Chayav Mahpouf. I mean, meaning you're not allowed to just curse a king. Even if David Amalek is like, you know, humble, you still go around cursing the king because he's a representation of the Gadash Roku. But it wasn't the time for him to act upon it. He just kept silent. But when he dies, he tells his son Shlomo, you got to take care of this guy because there's no way he's chayav to mock. Like he's, 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 it's not about my honor. It's about the honor of the Gadash Roku. David is a representation of Hashem in this world. So Shlomo, who's so wise, thinks how, he can't just kill him. That it would be too political. It's too much balagan going on there. It's too, so what does he do? He tells him, you must stay in Yerushalayim. Now, mind you, he was living in Yerushalayim. He had a house in Yerushalayim. He had this, like, he was fine. He was a wealthy person. He had everything he wanted in Yerushalayim. But the moment he, so he gave him a command, you must stay in Yerushalayim. One day he finds out, I can't remember, some kind of, I think it had to do with his, some animals of his had gone outside Yerushalayim and he went, this guy, he couldn't just stay, he left. So then he became Chayabakut again. Like he was, Shlomo was able to kill him because he went against the orders of the king. But the, what was the point? The, the point is the moment a person feels trapped, don't tell me I can't go. Even if my whole life, his whole life, he'd never been outside Yerushalayim. The moment you say you can't do something, you feel trapped emotionally, psycholo psychologically, you feel trapped and you're like, I got to get away from here. Even if your whole life, you're going to stay in the same place. Mm -hmm. the same place. It's something when they put us in a siege, nothing in, nothing out. It was the sensation of I'm so trapped. I can't do anything. It's the month actually to open up, like investigate what is holding me. What's holding me back from growing? What's holding anything from coming in and coming out? Also, um, I actually once wrote an article about this that I felt like the idea behind the siege is we also have to understand like, yes, what holds us? Like what's you know, holding us from growing? But a person also has to put up like healthy boundaries and know when to open those gates and when to close them. 
you want to have control over that. Does that make sense? Not that someone's controlling you to either stay inside or to go out, but that you yourself are understanding that this is a healthy boundary for me to have, that this is I will allow inside my home and this is I'm going to have to stay away from my home, which all of us, I feel like now there's a little bit of, you know, unclarity about what boundaries are. And I want to talk about this uh, faculty of anger that's in the month of Tibet. And what does anger mean? Um, anger is not, I, I, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, and again, and again, I come back. Anger is not Amida. It's not Amida. It's a secondary emotion. It's an outcome of a secondary emotion, meaning a person is not born angry. You're not born with a tendency towards anger at all. Yeah. Challenge me. You can, I think there are some people who have a tendency toward maybe because of nurture nature. I'm not sure where, you know, like, but there are some people who have a more optimistic personality and, more, and others with less. Meaning people who are more like very energetic and people who are more like uh, calm. What? Yeah, people who like are, uh, you know, more flexible and, and, and people who are a little bit more rigid. Like all, also every measurement, right? Amida is a measurement. Every characteristic chain I can use for good or bad. If it's if I'm jealous about something like that's like propelling me forward, I'm jealous of the beautiful acts that she does, and so I therefore want to also be a very good kind person. It's not a bad thing, right? When it talks about like the Torah talks about kina for Torah, but and also even being proud. I'm not talking about being arrogant, but pride is also you have to have pride. You have to have self pride, right? Um, being also being laid back. I, I have a friend who, that very same friend who like will say like, you know, her husband, like he gets to pay the water bill and there's no water and, you know, and like electricity bill. He's still laid back on the other hand. He's also still laid back. He doesn't care when things are flying and it's dirty and there's no dinner and I don't know whatever's going on. Do you understand? The same characteristic trait can be good for both. The person who's yucky, yucky is so on time, so on time. And that could cause a lot of people to get stressed out. But on the other hand, it's also very, very nice to have someone who's dependable and so on time and like you can show up, right? But when it comes to anger, it's not something. Look, we just, I think we talked about last week. Um, did I mention it in last week's Parsha? With, and um, Parsha Devarim, it says, Moshe Rabbeinu, we know we're entering to his, he wants to enter into Eretz Israel. He's done 515 times. You don't think he did tshuva for hitting the rock? He did tshuva. He hit the rock. He didn't listen. Okay, I did tshuva. I done 515 times. Hashem, it's written that where about tshuva stands, it, no one else stands where they're standing. Why aren't you running into Eretz Israel? So of course, there's explanations that it has different leaders and everything. But like, really, come on. And yet there was something lacking in Moshe Rabbeinu, which in that moment, Hashem said, you didn't believe in me. There was no Muna. And there's no, and, and that, that like baseline that you first, you need a Muna before even Tshuva and Tefillah. And also in that act, why is it that like the three times that Moshe Rabbeinu gets angry, it says he forgets about the halakha. It's because anger is not something we have a space for. We and it says he was right to get angry. We understand why Moshe Rabbeinu got angry, but it's not something that's like an actual mida that like anger is an outcome. And what happens in this outcome of anger is my body goes cuckoo. I start getting adrenaline, cortisol. I don't know what's happening. I'm fight flight. It's there's an actual natural reaction to anger that I'm not there anymore. Therefore, I forget the halakha. Right, it's an anger is a lack of amuna. Also, if I really had amuna to understand that, like, I can't control this person. Hashem's also in control of everything. If I really have strong amuna, I'm not going to ever get angry. Do you see the correlation between that, between amuna and anger? Because anger is I don't have control. I'm trying to control the situation. 
Does it make sense? Yeah. So this is the month to really work on that. It's to work on looking at your mind-body connection and seeing that every time I'm in a stressful situation, I feel myself tensing up. The first thing I need to do is take a deep breath. I need to practice that. I need to drop my shoulders, take a deep breath. I need to get my faithful back, my mind back to have control over myself. And then I will not react anger because re anger is a reaction. It's a behavior of how I'm behaving. You can be upset. You can be frustrated. You can be sad. All these things you're allowed to be, but you're not allowed to become angry in an action, right? Or a passive aggressive anger is also not allowed. And so therefore I have to work on that. Um, and I, the first way to work on it is with your body is being aware of your body and your body tone, your muscle tone. It's like amazing how much when we work on that, we, we can let go of the anger. So the questions of this month is what thoughts that are taking a hold of me, right? And they don't allow me or anything in or out. Like I feel stuck. Being in a siege, being in Tibet is I'm just stuck. I can't go anywhere. And how to overcome those feelings of anger, right? Making mind-body connections. Just having a lot of self-awareness of what's triggering me. What does it mean also to be limited? Like, how can I break free of my limitations? So these are things to think about in the month of Tibet. And I'm going to delve um, into Shvat. And I have actually this, the next, I want to talk about two Shvat. I think uh, there's a beautiful teaching that I want us to learn in two Shvat. Okay, so first of all, this parenthesis, two Shvat has to do with Asher, which is wealth. He was the oil. And it's the faculty of taste, which makes so much sense that the month of Shvat is taste because we're tasting all these beautiful fruits of Eretz Israel, the same phrase on Tu B'Shvat. Um, Halakhically, there's a lot involved actually with Tu B'Shvat about, and you know, it's, it's the new year of the trees, but a lot of it has to do with Shemitah and um, there's some implications there. And also Ola, or pretty sure, no, maybe that's not Tu But there, there are some halakhot of the land that do with Tu B'Shvat. And also all the lands, um, water, like that we're praying for from the time of Heshvan, all of that seeping into the ground, so to speak, and meaning like the most productive performing is in Tiltubishvat. Like that's the water that we're doing dominant for. Okay, so the first question is, how is man compared to a tree? So I'd like us to look into this teaching. Okay, I, I, I don't have it in English because I, I, I took it from a safer that I have. Okay, this is called Ulatora. So it's like a Hasidish kind of, and it brings in, there's a Parsha that we say, we say in Tukushvat time, it's Parsha Bishlach, which is, um, here comes to, remember, like, you know, that's fear splitting, okay? And here's what's going on. It, this rabbi asked, there's a question that Moshe Rabbeinu is standing there and everybody's like, the water's in front of them. It's scary. Okay, there's this water raging the sea. To the right and to the left are like lions, tigers, and bears, and behind them is coming the Egyptians. They're turning to Moshe, and he starts throwing up his hands basically to Hashem. And, and he said, and Hashem says, Ma alai. So why are you Hashem saying Moshe? Why are you turning to me? Why are you me? Tell Ben Israel trouble. Now look at this word by Okay, so the rabbi's question is here, why does it say that Yisu to travel below Yichlu, to walk? Mind you, they were not in airplanes. They were not in cars. They were walking. Okay, they had their camels and their horses and their donkeys, but they were walking. So really grammatically, it should be go. Like, let's go. And instead, the word is the Yisu. 
So what does he bring in? He brings in a, 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 with Avram Avinu, it's not Avram Avinu, Katsuba Rishi, so he's saying, we also see with the story of Avram Avinu, it's true, you say lech lecha, it has to do with going, but then it says that he was traveling. Avram Avinu was traveling, again, this idea of traveling and not walking. So he brings in, what is this word connected to? miracles. In this moment, which we read around two weeks at time, Hashem tell them to travel, which means what? Okay, I'm not gonna read the whole thing now, sorry. But it's Lashon, wait, actually turn the page, turn the page. So what does he say? Lashon Yesu, to travel sounds like miracle. Are you confused? The language of. Yeah, Lashon means the language of to travel. Avram Avinu kol pam shabalo koshi. Every time Avram Avinu had something that was difficult, the makom, and in that place, and he would try, he would start to get like feeling like I'm going to give up. He would actually start entering into like this world of miracles. Meaning to travel, and this, like Hashem is saying, when I'm saying the word travel, it means right now, all these difficulties, I'm about to enter a time of miracles. So when he said, tell B'nai Yisrael, when he's telling Israel to travel, what is he asking to do? I want you to raise yourself up, you guys. Raise yourself up. Why? Go up from this. What does it mean to rise up? You need to You need to strengthen your emunah. And how, then he asks the question, how does a person strengthen their emunah? A person should think about the things that are amazing, miraculous, miraculous. Now go back to the idea of Hanukkah, like this, again, in the mundane, finding the miracle in the mundane and thinking about it, I just mentioned how to find gratitude. And therefore, just when you strengthen your Muna, you start thinking about the awesomeness of Hashem, the awesomeness of this world, it will strengthen you and you will be therefore connected to the world of miracles. And then he goes on, like, like that's actually how they were saved from Paro. Um, okay, why do you guys think that I would bring this in? For Tubishah, the holiday of the trees. Not okay, yes, it happens to correspond that that's the time of the year they read about this Persia. But what does trees have to do with miracles? Anyone got any idea? And what can I learn from this during this month about myself? Well, the Torah is referred to as the tree of knowledge. For sure, the tree of life, right? Exactly. The Torah, for sure, it's Chaim Chi. We have to hold on to the Torah's Torah for the tree of life. Man is referred to a tree. Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, it's a little fluffy. I hope that's okay. But, um, <laughs> but like, once you start noticing, like, something, like your hand, or like, you're gonna notice more things that I didn't do with those hands. Like, like, thank God I was able to, like, like, do like, all of it. Like, I don't know, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna build. Mm -hmm. You're gonna build more off of, like, you're gonna have like, a list of things, but even in those, in each thing, you're gonna find something that. Came from those things that 
Meaning you're like building a tree of, yeah. yeah. Okay, I like it, yeah. They're like, like with the Lexi, like trees, because they're outside, like we're actually doing this, like breathing. Oh, how they could And also like, they're like the home of like the birds, and birds are good creatures, trees are good creatures, like. I like how I'm Right. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. 100%. And, and then just one more scientific thing is trees go against gravity. The water goes up. It's not, it's not logical. Water is going up. When you're connected to Torah, like tell me your, your name. What Ashley said about, about the tree being compared to the Torah is also what, and the man being compared to the Torah and fusing that, all these things that you guys said, is that myself being compared to the Torah, I mean, being compared to a tree which compares to the Torah, means that when I cling onto that Torah, I can go against gravity, meaning I go against nature, I go up. And the, one of the ways of going up is by holding on to a moon, like she said, and I'm not just talking about up as in physically up, I'm talking about up as close, right? Or being able to jump that sea, that carries I'm soothed, like how is this ever possibly gonna happen in my life? These miracles, this like opening, this revelation, this clarity, this bracha, the shefa. You gotta sometimes just jump into and understand that that traveling, the journey itself is a miracle. And that the Torah will give me the capacity to go against gravity. I mean, also just think about us as a people. Like we just talked about the months of miracles, beds, which is like Edom, which is Esau, constant persecution, it's still alive. And then we go right into Shvat, which is like, you know, once Shvat enters, it's funny, you have this like very busy time of Tishrei, right? It goes a little Tishrei. And then you have like a very quiet time of Rechashvon. And then that, which goes all the way until Chavhei Kislev, right? Which is a long time. It's actually the end of Kislev, right? And then you have this chunk of Hanukkah, which is like, and then again, darkness, 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 and finally we have to do Shvat. We're like, okay, energy is to become dark, Pesach, and like all these other things happening. There's something very energetic about Tu Bishvat, where you like, you know it's the beginning of a busy season, and you know it's also the beginning of change. Here in Israel, it's actually the coldest time of the year, and then it's not, meaning it's like, it's 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 not. Like, it starts not being cold anymore. Um, so I think for us, it's happened to a lot, the idea that during this month, I have to go against odds, and I have to realize um, that I can go against gravity. I can I can jump into the miracles. I'm just trying to see. I, I'm skipping, so I'm not going to get to this whole. It's a beautiful thing if any of you speak Hebrew to read. Um, it's really gorgeous because he's connecting Amuna with miracles and how that strengthens us. Okay, I want to skip a skip a skip, and just also the idea that it says it says. Um, so after that whole Marara, we have this about how man is compared to a tree, right? That's the famous of where we get, like if any, did any of you do like echo, theological Jewish things? Like I remember going on the Shabbat when I was in college, like ecological. it's a, uh, I don't know what page it's on. It's the first page with English writing. So always they have this, any kind of like Google to the shop, they're going to have like, you can't, you can't come down the fruit tree, you know, only the, so this is where we see it is. Why? What's this idea also about? This is where we learn the mitzvah about tashchit, not being wasteful, like not just being endlessly wasteful. So it's good also to have consciousness and shvat about like I have to understand how to appreciate things and not be wasteful of them, you know. And um, 
And okay, Miss Gap. Let me just make sure I'm not forgetting. By the miracles. Oh, I wanted to tell you guys this one miracle, miraculous story that happened because it had to do with Eretz Yisrael. Um, it was in the news. It was on the Jerusalem Post, and it was in 2008, and it was a Shemitah miracle. And what happened, it was the, the potato, I'm going to read it. And what some potato farmers in the negative are taking as a sign from God, the most recent frost that ravaged produce across the nation selectively passed over some crops. As if guided, they say, by divine hands. Potatoes planted in the Negev before the beginning of Shemitah, which means they were planted before Rosh Hashanah, right, of that year, sabbatical year in accordance with the biblical prohibition against plowing, sowing, and other field chores, were spared by the damages caused by sharp drops in temperature last week. In contrast, potatoes that were planted during Shemitah year, which began at nightfall of that year, um, and Rosh Hashanah, were decimated, right? So there was that miracle. And then there was another miracle of Shemitah, which is a very also famous, you can Google it. It's a really cool, like, uh, he does like this video on it, where he talks about how um, last Shemitah year, there was this Hoser Batshuva, and he was a farmer, and he was looking, he wanted to, before Shemitah, to plant wheat so that it, for, for Pesach, for the month of Shemura. He finally finds a field near Aza, and what he did was he plowed the whole thing quickly, quickly doing it. It was like a very quick operation to plant it, I mean, to plow it down, and to quickly plant the seeds so that then they would be before Shemitah. Happened to be that the terrorists at that time were digging tunnels, did not know about this Shemitah that someone's going to be plowing down this field so quickly. And they came up under the ground in tunnels. And because there was no more like weeds and all kinds of things to hide them, which they thought there would be, the cameras of like, you know, the IVF, the, the, I don't know, like, yeah, all the, you know, the, I don't know if it's Air Force. I don't know who it is, but you don't talk about this really army people. They were, they, they saw these terrorists coming up and, um, and they caught them. And it was all in the Zuhud of Shemitah. So that's also just the idea that when it's beautiful to have a Tubishvat Seder, I always have a mix. And like we really do like a real Seder mm-hmm. uh, with four cups of wine, you know, four cups mm-hmm. of juice and the fruits and just Shabbat and also just being grateful that we have so many beautiful fruits and, and we have a Ka'im Hashem, Hashem gave us a lamb um, and that we are Zohar actually to keep Shemitah. Okay, deep breath. We're on our last, I can't believe it, we're doing it. We're on our last month. The month of Azar, which is good. I, you know, it's it's not it's not like there's a reason why we're ending in Azar, not just because it's the last month, but because also, you know, when you enter the month of Azar, Malvin you're supposed to augment in happiness. And it says when you enter the month of Ab, which you're in right now, it says you're supposed to make the simcha. It doesn't say you're not supposed to be the simcha, it should be diminished. Meaning simcha is a very important part of being a Jew. And also I heard in the name of the Rosh Shiva um, Berkowitz that when you go and you want to spread light out there, you guys, and you're going back, if you're going to go back after the semester, don't look from, like, don't look religious, look happy. Because if you really want to do a Kiddush Hashem and you really want to show how much you've grown, be a good person and look mm-hmm. happy. And I that's- love that. So um so it's good that we're actually ending with this because what would really probably build the basic dash if people smile if they were to smile more and just be a little bit more friendly and happy with their own lives and then shed that 
So I think it's there's no coincidence in life why we're talking about Adar now. Okay, no surprise, right? Adar is actually the fish, right? The game. Um, and that's because there's no Aina Rav and on the fish, like Yosef also at Sadiq, it says it's like Ben Platosef, he's also like also compared to a fish, that they never close their eyes. That's why the other one close their eyes. And the idea here in Adar is obviously that everything could be upside down. And who laughs the last laugh? You know, also we say Mishle and uh, and Shabbat we sing, or not every night, Friday night, right? We're singing Aisha uh, Kyle, like she's going to have the last laugh. What is this last laugh? The faculty of laughter also is a dar. The last laugh is understanding that Shem's going to show. And that there's a reason behind everything. That's the last laugh. Not the, also that your, your, the mouth is full of laughter. Is that laughter, simcha, an idea about simcha, right? Which I did come in a dar and I gave a share on this here about simcha. But um, just to have in mind that what is simcha? This is really cool. Are you talking about something? Here's those in the research. Ah, thank you. Okay, what we're we're having a mitzvah and to malbim besimcha besimcha. We're supposed to malbim besimcha. We're supposed to be augment our happiness. And what is connected to this word is mach Our thoughts, right? That we have to, it's the same letters, just a little bit different. That we have to understand that happiness is really all about where we're putting our thoughts. So this is the month really to focus on where are my thoughts, how do I how do I increase happiness or decrease happiness has to do with well, where are my thoughts? And also look at this word moach means brain. And Shava is sitting. Like where is my brain sitting? Where are my thoughts? Right? So um how do your thoughts affect your mood? So if you know, that's like a whole topic in itself. The idea, you know this, right? What we think affects how we feel. The moment, I, I said this on the last time, right? The moment I think it's, I'm hot and hot and hot and hot, I start to get a little bit crutchy and I'm complaining and I feel like this. The moment I say, well, you know, like, it's thank God, I, there's two reasons to think there's the chokmah of the world and there's the chesed of the world. Thank God that there's a son, that Hashem has a chokmah, a plan, he knows that it's for, you know, and that there's chesed, that there's a purpose. I'm Dermiller, Miller, I'm Brooklyn, he brings a lot about that. That everything has a chokmah, there's a plan. It's not just random, there's a map, and there's a chesed, there's a purpose. So when I put my mind to the purpose and the plan, I can be more of a simcha. And a beautiful, beautiful teaching is we say, right? It's very strange. In Sukkot, we have chag simchatenu. And how are we chag simchatenu? You eat meat and yain, wine, or candies or that's pretty. Meaning the idea is it's an external thing that makes me happy and how I'm supposed to externally do something in order to get my internal to feel happy. However, in Adar, it's telling you to actually do that. It's nothing to do with externalities. I mean, you're supposed to like, it's something that I'm supposed to be doing, which is what I'm not supposed to know. And here is an incredible idea, which the word, where do we see the word that first in the Torah? Right, Adam and Eve, right? They're eating from this tree of knowledge, right? That tree of knowledge could have been there, was their gun Eden, if they had just listened and just waited a little bit longer. They had every single fruit they could eat from except for this one tree, right? Like you have mangoes, peaches, plums, pears, cherries, everything. 
And I just have to have the dots, right, Chewy? So on the one hand, it's my God Eden, and it became their game up because they, they didn't listen, so to speak, right? So everything in your life is that same thing will be your gun Eden or your gain up. Meaning making money can be gun Eden. You feel like, oh, great, I just made money. I feel so good. I'm happy. But it's also my gain up. I lose the money. It's a duality. It's a duality of it's coming with a dark to tell us disconnect from dots. Because the moment I am connected to something that I attribute that this is going to make me a break me, it's controlling me. And I have no simcha, real simcha. The only simcha there is is the connection. What do we dominate every single day? For dots, which is undominant the dots of the Kadosh Bahu, an awareness of the Shem, which is a true simcha there is. But if I connect myself to anything, if I make it on time or I don't make it, then I don't make it time to my happiness. If I look a certain way, don't look this way, it's my happiness. If this person talks to me, invites me to the simcha, doesn't invite me to the If I have this amount of money in the bank, or not amount of money. If, do you understand? Food, everything could be our happiness or it could be our misery. So it's asking us one day of the year, but like this month, in order to increase your simcha, in order to put your thoughts into your mood, is disconnect from the dots of that this thing can't control me either way. And I have to then just, the dot is, everything's from Hashem. That's why how could that be? The two opposites. Because the moment I can say, wow, and that's like the whole end of this year, I hope that this cycle that we've been on together is learning a little bit of tools how to hopefully just feel more connected, feel more connected to the time of the year, right, that you're in. Take that time of the year. It's not just the only time I can look at my simple, obviously. But no, it's Mr. Well, like that happens to be that there's a certain clock in the month to work on this thing. And then you take it throughout, God willing, through the whole year, knowing that whatever work I did in that month does will carry me throughout the year. Um, I said, also just wanted to bring in, but we don't have time, is the idea of Esther Malka and her resilience, which is a big clock that we have. But it comes from actually from Rachel Imenu, which was her great, 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 great brother, grandmother. And the idea of knowing silent, when to be silent, when to speak up, having this resilience to also step up to the plate. Like I feel like Mordecai told Esther, like, you know what, sweetie pie, you don't want to do it, we'll get somebody else, but you're going to lose out on this. And I, and she stood up, she stood up to the plate. And it's kind of like, I feel like the month of Jadar should give us the call to in a certain situation in our lives where we're like, kind of like hesitant to take over that leadership or step up to the plate, step up to the plate. You'll get a certain status from my asking the heavenly assistance, the Shem's going to help you and also the resilience that we have as a people. And then everything can flip, right? In one second, when we think it's our day of destruction becomes our day of Yeshua. The day that was supposed to be where cry is our day of, of festivities. Is that the Shem? So that should be on Tisha B'Av, which should be the day of our Sintra. Thank you so much for coming and showing up and being with me in this learning series. Thank you. And the, Thank you.